when we were in verse 2, we saw that these people were described as lovers of their own selves. Today, when we get to down to the bottom of verse 4, they're lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. This whole list is encapsulated by misplaced love, misdirected love. And this list comes rapid fire. Paul's boom, ba-boom, 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 listing off these things. He's describing to Timothy the sort of people who are going to be around in the last days. And these characteristics shouldn't come as any kind of surprise to Timothy or to you and me either. You and I shouldn't be surprised by any of these things. In fact, we can see a lot of these traits in the world right now, can't we? We've already looked at eight of these traits already. We saw them in verse 2. Well, verse 3, there's 19, by the way, if you were counting them all up. There's 19 of them. We've looked at eight already, so how many more do we have to do today? Another 11, right? Uh, well, verse 3 gives us 6 right off the bat. And we're going to jump right into the thought. Uh, man, I keep looking over to chapter 2. There's something wrong with that. It says that they're without natural affection. Now, that, this is one Greek word here. Astorgos. Astorgos. We're continuing our Greek lesson. We know that when we put an A in, it means a negative of something or without something. So, without storgos, without storge. Storge is that uh, natural love that we share as fellow human beings. My natural compassion for you as another human being. These people are without that. They don't have that present. These people are hard-hearted. They're unfeeling. No regard for other people. Paul uses the same word in Romans chapter 1, verse 31. Let's take a look at that quickly. It's another one of Paul's famous lists. Remember, I told you that one of these lists is in almost every single one of Paul's epistles. I said that last week. Romans is no different. It says, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, astorgos, implacable, unmerciful. Let's think about that for a minute. Without natural affection, astorgos, did you ever consider that to be without natural love is the very definition of godlessness? How can you say that, Brother Dan? Because God is love, right? God is love, so to be without love is the de very definition of godlessness. The capacity that you and I have to love each other is part of the image of God. What I consider myself a theologian. What we theologians would call uh, the imagio dei that which makes us in the image of God. Part of that is our ability to love. No other creature can love. Only human beings can love. So when we deny that, when it's suppressed, or we replace it with its opposite, we are turning our back on our Creator, don't you see? It moves on. It says, without natural affection, truce breakers. This is another, just one Greek word, aspondos. Without spondos, right? Well, then you've got to wonder what sponde is, right? Well, that's a treaty. A treaty, a covenant, a truce. These people are unreliable. 
They have no regard for promises, no regard for covenants made. And this, again, is a total affront to God, you see, because my God describes himself over and over and over again as a covenant-keeping God, doesn't he? My God characterizes himself as, I am a God, I change not. And these people are aspondos. They can't keep a treaty. They can't keep a promise. They can't keep a covenant. It goes on to say, they're false accusers. This is a Greek word you're probably familiar with. Diabolos, right? Diabolos. It's a uh, diabolical, right? It's very closely related to the word that we saw last time in verse 2, which described blasphemers. You remember what blasphemers was? It was blasphemos. Very simple. This one's diabolos. It's a very related word. It's used to describe people who spread slander. Remember, blasphemos just meant any negative talk about somebody. Not necessarily blasphemy against God. But any negative comment that we make about another human being is blasphemos. This is diabolos. Anybody who's spreading slander about somebody else. Now, I'm pretty sure that as Paul's writing this down, he would have been thinking about God's commandment in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16, which says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among your people. See, to be a slanderer and an accuser is to act in the very nature of Satan himself. We can even see that with the word diabolos. Satan himself is described as the accuser of the brethren, right? So now, do you see the subtle shift that we've made? We've denied characteristics that God himself shares, that of love, that of being a covenant-bearing God. Now we've actually turned another corner. Not only are we denying God, now we're actually siding with the enemy. Diabolos. When you're a false accuser, you've actually sided with Satan. You've grounded the corner completely away from God. Now you're siding with Satan. There's a progression going on here. It says incontinent. It literally means that they've lost all control over themselves. All control. These, we as believers ought to be restrained, hadn't we? I mean... Some people ought to be physically restrained. But we ought to be restrained in our minds. We ought to be controlled in every aspect of our lives. We ought to keep this, my passions, my desires, ought to be under control. I'm not saying they are, but they ought to be. Uh, in fact, let's, let's skip over a page or two to Titus chapter 1, verse 8, where it's describing the uh, aspects of a bishop. It says, you should be a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Temperate. We're talking about being disciplined here. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, in the section on the fruit of the Spirit, is describing a very similar word to describe the fruit of the Spirit as well. We ought to be disciplined people. It says fierce. 
Now that's an odd one. And by the way, this is the only time that this particular word shows up in the Bible, Old and New Testaments. This is the only time this word's used. Now, so to get a grasp on what this word means, you've got to look at other Greek texts, right, where, where it's also used, like the Iliad. Uh, it's used to describe uh, Polyphemus, the uh, Cyclops. He was a wild, savage, untamable, unmerciful, cruel character. So it should come as no surprise that being fierce is not a commendable quality in Paul's eyes. This isn't something we should be attaining to. And it says, despisers of those that are good. Despisers of those that are good. Again, these people have no concern for their fellow man at all. And when you look at it in light of all the other characteristics that we've looked at so far, these people are not just bad. They stand in opposition of anyone who's trying to do right. They're despisers of people. It's not just that they're deciding, I'm not going to do good, but I hate the people who are trying to do good too. I told you this is a progression. The word here is aphelagathos. Aphelagathos. I love to hate people who are doing good. Is really, if you're, it's an extremely rare word in any Greek writings. So, I pointed out a couple of things. Some, sometimes these words are the only time it's used in the New Testament. Sometimes it's the only time it's used in the whole Bible, like this one. Uh, these are extremely rare words. So I hope you realize that by using such very rare words, Paul is trying to make his point crystal clear. Sometimes when I whip out a $5 word, it's because I'm trying to get the point across, something you're going to remember. Paul's doing the same thing here. He's, he's pulling out very odd words that even in his day would have been odd words to make this point clear. In the last days, people are going to be marked by way out of the ordinary levels of wickedness. Wickedness has always been in the world. Wickedness has been in the world since day one. But we're talking about outlandishly wicked. So move on to verse 4. We're going to get four more characteristics that will round out what we're talking about here. Uh, and Paul's going to describe some more attributes and if you think Paul's getting a little bit over the top on this as he goes down through, I mean, we've, we've rattled off a whole bunch of them now. We've got to remember that Jesus gave a very similar list. Let, actually, let's look at the list Jesus gave in uh, Mark chapter 7. It's always good to see what Jesus had to say. Morning. Mark chapter 7, uh, verse... Uh, 21 down to 23. He's talking about the things that cometh out of a man that defileth a man. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. That's what Jesus had to say. 
Actually, compared to Jesus' list, Paul seems kind of restrained here. But he continues on. He, go, he says that they're going to be traitors. That's a Greek word, prodotes. Prodotes. It means a betrayer. So by using it in the form that he does, and Greek uh, descriptive adjectives have all kinds of different forms. By using the very form that he does, Paul's making this characteristic out to be a noun, not an adjective. Prodotes. So when, what do you, okay, so what significance is that? Making this out to be a noun instead of an adjective. By doing that, Paul is emphasizing that this treacherous quality, this betraying quality, is actually a part of their being, something that they are inseparable from. It identifies them. This word's only used two other places in the New Testament. And they are, one describes Judas as the traitor, Luke chapter 6, verse 16, if you want to see it. And those people who were about to stone Stephen, Acts chapter 7, verse 52. That's the only other times that this word's used. The people who are stoning Stephen and Judas betraying Christ. This is very serious. It's not just uh, minor treason, if, it, if you can use do such a thing as that. And it, it, we got a, you don't notice it in the King James, but the very next word is a very similar sounding word. The one we just looked at is prodotes. Uh, this word heady is propites. Propites. It describes a behavior that's reckless and hasty. Did you know that a Christian is never supposed to be rash or reckless? We're called on over and over and over again throughout scriptures to consider our ways, consider our ways. Sometimes if we just slow down and think about it for a minute, we may not rush in and make a mistake. What's that? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, good rule of thumb. And you know that's not what we see in the world around us. This world doesn't give a lot of consideration. This world just kind of acts on whatever fancy comes along, doesn't it? I mean, we see it a lot these days. I mean, we got everybody that's so easily triggered and so easily offended and uh, so easily put out by things. We need to stop and consider things. And Paul goes on, he says that these people are high-minded. The only other places this is used is First uh, Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6. Let's look at it. First Timothy 3 and 6. 
where it says, uh, talking about uh, a bishop qualifications, he says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride. That's our term there. He fall into the condemnation of the devil. Lifted up with pride. Go over to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 4. The only other place it's used. It says, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. That's the only other times it's used. But outside of the New Testament, it's used many times to describe someone who's overly impressed with their own knowledge. You, know, you ever heard it? You know the type I'm talking about? Somebody who thinks that they're the smartest person in the room. Uh, usually they aren't, by the way. Uh, that's who we're talking about here, high-minded. You're going to watch out because in the last days you're going to see people like that. Moving on, it says that they're... Uh, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, God calls on his people to love him. We all know that verse. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, he calls for his people to have no other gods before him. Paul here is talking about people who set their own self-gratification as an idol before God. I love to please myself more than I love God. And Paul actually, this is, Paul's making a joke here. You can't get it from the King James because the King James isn't that funny. Uh, but in the, uh, sorry, uh, in the Greek, the word is, these people are philodonoi. Philodonoi. Lover, lovers of pleasure rather than Philothetoi, lovers of God. He's making a play on words. They're philodenoi, not philothetoi. So moving on to verse 5, he sums it all up. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Now in this verse, as we wrap up here this morning, Paul does something very, very interesting which he does other places as well. Out of this whole list of things, he latches onto one and emphasizes it above all the others. In this particular case, he focuses on how these people may have an external appearance of being godly, but they don't have its true essence, you see. They may look nice and clean and shiny on the outside, but they're lacking the essence. So, if they're lacking the essence of what godliness is, do you know what the essence, what the power, that power that godliness has, that's the true essence to godliness. It's the power of God's Holy Spirit that sets Christianity apart from all other religions, you realize. It's the power of God's Holy Spirit, because anything else is just human effort. God's Holy Spirit empowers Christianity. Power, that, that refers to the presence of God. From, from the minute, Genesis 1-1, we see God acting in power, don't we? My God is described on every page as a powerful God. 
And he operates in the person of his Holy Spirit. And he works in and through the life of a believer, changing them from the inside. Jesus promised that. Just Jesus' last words as he's leaving this planet, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he promises. Let, let's look at it. If it's Jesus' last words, they bear remembering. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. How are you going to be able to do that? Because you're going to receive power. These people have a form of godliness, but they deny that power. So what's Paul talking about when he says godliness? Well, the Greek word is eusebia. Uh, it's a pretty common word. It's used to describe piety, it's holiness, reverence, faith, love. We saw it back in chapter 1, verse 7. And again, in chapter 1, verse 7, Paul linked that with the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. And then in verse uh, 1 8, the very next verse, he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Right at the kickoff of this book, he's emphasizing it with power. This power of God enables the perseverance through the suffering. You're going to see suffering, Timothy. We're about to look at the persecutions that Timothy can be expecting to see. In fact, that's one of the next things we're going to be looking at. The people who characterize the last days may claim to know God, but their lives are devoid of the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is present in your life, your life will be marked by holiness, it will be marked by perseverance, and it will be marked by effective ministry. You can't help it because the Holy Spirit cannot do anything that is powerless. When you don't see those things present in someone's life, or God forbid in your own life, then you should turn away from such a one. That's what Paul's saying here. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Avoid them at all costs, is what that literally means. Because those sort of charlatans, and those sort of powerless people, will do nothing to bring you up. They can only drag you down in your Christian walk. From such turn away. Don't argue with them. Don't fight them. Don't debate them. From such, turn away. That's all I've got. You mind if I close in a word of prayer?